Welcome, all you blokes and chillers, to the Sport Shack from the Gold Coast, Australia. In the Sport Shack this week, we're going to talk about some of the sporting topics of the week and go back in time with some of our favourite sporting memories from the past as well as the news and events, music and film, and lots more. And all from and with our great mate, Paul Tonner. We acknowledge the Ugambe people, past and present, the traditional custodians of this land, of the Gold Coast, we thank the Yogambe people for the opportunities to do this podcast on their land. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sports Shack. I hope you are well and have had a great sporting week. Hi Glenn. Hi uh, Paul. How's it going? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Beautiful weather outside. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah very nice. Hmm. Springs just around the corner. Not long now. Yeah, hopefully. I reckon another three weeks I'll be back in the pool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Too chilly at the moment. Yeah, it is a bit. Yeah. 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 Anything exciting this week? Oh, not really exciting. Still packing? Oh, yeah, still packing. Yeah. The big move next Tuesday. Right. Yeah. Down to uh, Lake Catawah, yeah. down near Port Macquarie, yeah. five hours from the Gold Coast, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, nah. I can't wait to go down, yeah. visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I've got the studio set up. Oh, mate, be licking my lips. Yeah. Just like South Sydney do when they play Parramatta. <laughs> 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 they lick their lips because they know they're going to flog them. Yeah. And they're a big loser for me this week, yeah. Parramatta. Yeah. yeah, well, Optus is a big loser for me too. Yeah. Because I signed up to a new deal because of moving and that, and they can't provide the NBN when uh, I'm moving to. Gosh. So they said, I oh, will give you a, a broadband and phone package. Mm. Thought, yeah, sounds good. Saves me a bit of money. Then there's only one bill to pay. So they said they'd transfer my existing number from my existing provider. Yeah. And I said, will the sim be here before Friday? <laughs> oh, yeah, it will be. Went out Saturday morning. No phone. No, yeah. No, yeah. The, Mick, I'll provide it. Switched it off. So, yeah. On the internet with Optus trying to look. I need the bloody phone. Mm. The card hadn't even left. Hadn't been, yeah, you know, sent. Oh, God. Yeah. And yeah. anyway, I managed to get back it up and running, so they're my slap of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and also I found out something very interesting, which is I think it has been a big conspiracy theory mm. about childhood. The Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. yeah. Uh, I found out during the week the top speed for a roadrunner is only 20 miles an hour. Yeah, it wasn't on the show, was it? On the cartoon? It was about a million. (laughs) But but the top speed for a a coyote is 42 miles an hour. Right. Double the speed of the roadrunner. (laughs) (laughs) The way way I never got caught. So what's a roadrunner again? I'm just trying to think what animal it was. Yeah, it was sort of like an ostrich. Sort That's of, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
in America. Yeah. Mm. And then the coyote, but yeah. <laughs> I, 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 still, I still love watching them. And, it's a sporting scheme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then I saw the reverse. Yeah, reverse thought of it. Yeah, just when I watched them again, it made it even funnier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that yeah, no, the capability of the coyote catching him. And so where'd you find that information out? Oh, it just came from on Facebook. Right. So I didn't research it. I, mm. Yeah, but um, I just thought, oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah great. I, I, I love cutlands. Yeah. Even at 55 years old, because they can just do the unma- un- unimaginable, yeah, in them. Mm. Yeah, stuff like that. that just. It was a famous cartoon, that one, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 You know, you know on Facebook, do you get um, all these popular, most, probably the most popular posts coming through? Like, um, I get all these cricket ones, you know, from these games from around the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing, yeah. some of the stuff that you see. Like, um, yeah. oh, boy. Yeah. I, I was up, I, I had liked um, a face called, Facebook page called yeah. Chopper Uncensored. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just mainly for male stuff. But they put up a picture of um yeah. of a crematorium where they store the bodies and words coming out of it, my chills are multiplying. I thought that's disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah, because of living because that was sung in Greece. Mm. So I, I unfriended them straight away. I thought that's just too yeah. too disrespectful. Oh it is, definitely. Yeah, because most of the posts are you know, girls <laughs> with very little on and you know, some funny stuff. But when it comes to that, it's just too disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. She's yeah. going to have a state funeral. Yeah. Which she definitely deserves. Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, this is what it is here. Like it comes up like this. <laughs> so yeah. I get like all these village cricket matches. Oh, the, yeah. Those are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You just see these amazing shots and yeah. Yeah, just real wacky things on the field. Yeah. 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 But, um, no, it was a very sad week too. Um, mm. Yeah, Thursday night I just had the TV on and, yeah. yeah, found out about the sudden and tragic passing of Paul Green. Yeah. Yeah, the former NRL player and yeah. rugby league coach. Yeah, very well known mainly for his coaching. Um, yeah. Coached North Queensland to their first premiership in 2015. Yeah. Yeah, definitely rated the greatest grand final of all time. Yeah. And he's also very well known for uh, 2017 when he led the Cowboys. They finished in eighth place, you know. They'd struggled all year. They, they were out without their two co-captains, you yeah. know. Their two best players, Jonathan Thurston and Matt Scott. Yeah. And from eighth place, he got them through to the grand final. Yeah. It's just a Herculean performance. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just a real, you know, real popular bloke, little bloke. You know, he played halfback for Cronulla. Yeah. I didn't realise he played for Parramatta. 
yeah. towards the end of his career. Yeah, uh-huh. 2003. He played about um, oh, seven games and then he was injured and then he uh-huh. – yeah. But uh, no, nah, just such a tragic loss and then you find out the next morning that, you know, he took his own life and yeah, yeah just uh, – Oh, just, you know, the rugby league world and it's just in shock because he yeah. was, yeah. you know, yeah, just, uh, yeah, mental health, you know, especially in regards to men's mental health and, yeah. you know, it's like seven men a day in Australia take their own life. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and they're pumping more money into mm. women's mental health. Exactly. And- yeah. And support for women and children, mm. but yeah, I know that I've only had two real relationships, and they're both yeah, yeah, and they're the same way. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I'm certainly another violent guy, or just gets swept yeah. under the carpet, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a, uh, I think somewhere in Sydney, there's a common spot where males. Go to um to um yeah you know, take their lives mm. and there's a guy that lives nearby that goes up there every day. Oh, at the Gap. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he he talks to them and mm. yeah, he he saves so many lives just by yeah. He's talking to them and bringing them back and having a yeah. cup of tea and, and talking it through. That's all it is. It's just. You know, having a chat, yeah. like, um, and I think men are, are good at, you know, just masking their feelings and emotions. Yeah. And, like, not one person picked up that Paul Green was struggling, you know. Yeah. yeah. Just the day before, the night before, he was celebrating his son's birthday at home. Yeah. And at the weekend, just a few days before, he was at, um, yeah. at in uh, Sydney, at a Cronulla yeah. Old Boys yeah. reunion on the field yeah. and being yeah. interviewed and yeah. seemed really happy and content. Yeah. And you just can't pick it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, as you know, I was in the Royal Fire Service in communications mm. in New South Wales. I remember hearing stories from guys in the Blue Mountains communications area and they used to say, Saturday afternoon, it would always get busy because we get called out that mm. yeah, someone's taken their life or yeah. Yeah, things mm. like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, like both, that's how you and I met. We met through men's group, didn't we? Yeah. About four years ago. Yeah. And uh, things like that are just so important for men. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just to get you know, what's troubling them off their chest and yeah. getting support and yeah. doing it in a safe environment, not being judged. And, yeah, but, yeah. Al- but also recognising that other men are going for the same problem. Exactly. Yeah, be- mm. because you know, we have a tendency that when things go wrong, you know, the, out of seven being people or so, that we think we're the only ones that are suffering, mm. that are going through it. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it is important for both male and female, and especially kids, mm. um, to to both talk up. Yeah, 
And use things like Lifeline, you know, phone yeah. 13, 11, 14 and yeah. Beyond Blue, yeah, 1300, double two four six three six. Yeah. And, yeah, there's yeah. just so many resources out there today. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's just 49 years of age. Yeah. Very intelligent guy. He was actually a uh, pilot. Yeah. Yeah, and he played the violin as uh, well. <laughs> yeah. But he played... Mainly for Cronulla. Yeah. Um, had stints with some other clubs like the Broncos and the Roosters and Para and, yeah, played for Queensland and yeah. uh, I think he played for Australia too, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just his coaching, you know. He coached the Cowboys for a long time and yeah. winning that premiership in 2015 yeah. was just magical, it, you know. Yeah, because I know myself that. Yeah, um, basically had the two relationships fairly, yeah, well, very close together. And mm. the first one was when I was young, and then when the, yeah, that ended, then I got into the second one early, yeah, within a few weeks. Mm. And then when that ended, I was left sitting by myself with my own thoughts. Mm. Yeah. Because I'd always you know, spent so many years helping both both relationships, mm. and then yeah, my, you know, putting my problems aside and that, mm. yeah, th- that became very hard the first six weeks or so. Yeah, breakups are so hard, aren't they? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, even with my second relationship, I could see deep down inside <coughs> what, 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 what she was like. Mm. But it was just, you know, what they go through their upbringing, what they believe in themselves. Yeah. It carries on. That's it. So yeah. yeah. It's just putting yourself first too, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And recognising, you know, when you need help and yeah, always, not being afraid yeah, to speak up. Always put your hand up. Yeah. Always. Mm. Yeah. E- even if it, even if it, uh, yeah, go to a police station or, or, or wherever, you know, council lifeguard or, yeah. you know, grab someone. If you need it, just say, help, I need help because... Really, people, there's still plenty of people out there that will help you at a drop of a hat. Yeah. You're not alone. If you can't get to the phone, can't get to a group, support group, there'll always be someone. Yeah. Who'll say, yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and have an are you okay day every day. Yeah. Not just one day a year. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so look at some winners now. So Latrell Mitchell from South Sydney's player. Gee, the Blues missed him this year in the state of origin. Yeah, he uh, he's in superb form. But I, I heard last night he uh, is has a groin injury. So, <laughs> gosh, South Sydney will be uh, sweating on that because – yeah, they missed him in the finals last year when he was suspended uh, and they probably would have won the premiership, you know, if he was uh, there on grand final day. Uh, 
And the Sydney Swans, they beat Collingwood. Yeah. yeah, it's a sellout crowd too. Yeah. So they're in great form. So uh, hopefully they'll finish in the top four with the AFL finals coming up. Yeah. And in losers, Man United. Yeah. yeah they'd lost 4 0 to Brentford. So they've lost their first two games of the season in the EPL and uh, yeah, their coach, well, I think they've got a new coach, He's, uh, he must be sweating bullets, I think. Yeah. But, uh, and also another loses the Wallabies getting thrashed by Argentina. Uh, oh, gee. But uh, the All Blacks beat the Springboks, so they uh, got back in the form. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've got I've got a winner, but even though it dates back to... Uh, 2010, it was uh, Jacqueline, I can't pronounce it, the last name because I think she's South African. Yeah. But she was in the marathon. And there was a um, Chinese guy there that he had arms but no hands. Gee. And she, she ran beside him holding his water. Mm. So, so he could still drink. Oh, uh, great sportsmanship. Yeah. 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 I just thought, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I just, when I saw that post as well, I thought, yep, yeah, I must yeah. get that for this week. Did you see that um, Little League game in America <laughs> last week? No. Yeah. This, um, this yeah, they, they show it live on TV over there. Yeah. yeah, it's like the real big little little league baseball games. Yeah. And this kid, he's, you know, pitched this rocket and it's hit the batsman and fair and square in the head and, you know, just about knocked him out. He's hit the deck and, uh, yeah, but he's got up and and you wouldn't even know that he'd, <laughs> he'd just been hit in the head by a, a baseball. Yeah. Um, but then he, yeah, the, the pitcher, he's standing on the mound there, bawling his eyes out because he's just devastated over what he's just done. Yeah. And then the, this kid who was batting, he comes up and consoles him and gives him a <laughs> hug. And, <laughs> and they're embracing arm in arm and, <laughs> and the parents are on the field and, <laughs> and the coach. and Oh, gosh. Yeah, the, my um Two of my late father's good friends yeah. that's in speedboat racing. They do a little bit now, but they were up there up during last week to clean up the boats and all that. And, and one guy from Tari wanted to bought one of the boats. And this guy's, this guy's a used car salesman. Yeah. So, of course, he's trying to, trying to yeah. Get the price down, but Bob and Johnny done the reverse psychology, mm. <laughs> and they were telling this guy, "Yeah, oh, there's two other people really interested in this boat." <laughs> <laughs> that always works, doesn't it? <laughs> Just about <laughs> reverse psychology. So yeah. yeah, they end up, they end up, um, ended up buying it. Yeah, you end up yeah. buying it for the yeah the price it was worth. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good. It would have gone for a good price too, I bet. Yeah, I thought it would have been a bit more, but yeah, yeah. it is what it is. 
Yeah. Rightio, so some sports news from around the globe now. So Romanian teenager David Popovici, I think that's how you say his name, he's only 17 years of age. He broke the world record for the 100 metres freestyle mm. at the European Championships. 46.86 seconds. Mm. Gosh, <laughs> I'd struggle to do 50 metres in that. Uh. Now, the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Now, it's a bit just under 100 days until that kicks off, but it'll begin a day earlier than originally scheduled, allowing Qatar, the host nation, to play the, their first game against Ecuador. Yeah. So it'll be on November the 20th. It'll start now, not the 21st of November. Uh. Yeah. So they're playing it out of season. Uh. I think it's the first time ever, uh. you know, because of the heat. Uh. Yeah. They just can't play it in the uh. middle of the year there. <laughs> <Or> else the, <laughs> the players will be dying on the pitch. A bit, a bit, a bit warm, eh? Oh, yeah. A bit warm. <laughs> but, yeah, we're going to talk a bit about Sport and technology today, uh, so that's our topic. So, uh, yeah, they're um, designed at some of their stadiums to cater for that, yeah. for the the sweltering heat. Uh, so, yeah, Tom Brady, he's taking some time away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to deal with personal issues. Yeah, the great NFL quarterback, forty five years of age. Uh, now, Fred Couples, he's a uh, American form, well, he's American golfer. He, I think, he plays in the seniors tour uh, now. You uh, know, he's he was a really good golfer uh, back in the eighties. You know, won some majors and yeah, he's hit out at Live Golf boss Greg Norman. <laughs> he's not very popular, Greg Norman. Uh, oh yeah, he's formed a lot of enemies over this thing. Yeah. And he, yeah, a couple said that no one's liked him for 25 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And Will Sal, Sal, Salvatoris, he won his first PGA title, winning the FedEx St. Jude Championship in a third hole playoff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Rightio. So this week we're going to talk about a topic very relevant to our ever-changing world today. We're going to talk about technology and sport mm. and how it's evolved over the years. Yeah. So there's technology everywhere in sport today and it's becoming more and more advanced. So yeah. when you think of technology and sport, what comes to your mind, Glenn? Yeah, well, I was thinking about this. Mm. Uh, I reckon it, it, it started in Australia, the advancement in technology, mm. especially in, in cricket. Yeah. With Kerry Packers. Exactly. Yeah, and, and David Hill because mm. David Hill was with um, the ABC, the National Broadcast in Australia, but when he went to work for Kerry Packer, he put more cameras in, mm. he put the stump mic in, you know, worked on things like that. Yeah. And, yeah, and even in yeah, more modern times, you know, I think the spider cam. Spider cam, yeah, I've heard of that one. How does that one work again? Well, it works off the uh, like they have um, cable to cables going, you know, like in the cross figure. That's right between the towers yeah. and the operate that. Mm. Yeah, I think that was Australian. I think they used it at the cricket once, and the ball hit it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Got stuck a couple of times. <laughs> 
but they, but they've been, um, they've interviewed. Also, oh, interview of a, of um, a, a cricket photographer. Yeah, and they get travels well doing all the big matches, mm. uh, and even though he's got his camera there, but he's got cameras set up in other areas on really the, on the roof and that. Jeez. So whenever he takes a picture, using the camera in front of him, it also activates other cameras as well. Mm. So he gets different angles yeah. for the same picture. Yeah, so. Yeah. But I, I know, yeah, you know, just still, it was my, it's still um, technology based. But when I was, I did some work for a power company in Port Macquarie. And when they were bringing seven regional power areas into one, and I was with them when. We were joining the whole seven areas up so they could all talk mm. amongst each other. And and the and the um the camp the the radios that were putting in the only twenty five percent of the components in there was the actual radio. Right. The rest of it was all computer based. Mm. And yeah, you know, like you could be talking to you. You want to, you if you wanted to, if you were in Port Macquarie Depot and wanted to talk to someone in the southwest and New South Wales, if you knew their, if you knew their number, you could dial that into your radio, mm. and it would bring their radio up onto a onto a private channel with you, yeah? and you could, could talk that way. Gosh, yeah. Because what the, all the seven areas originally had different technologies, still analog based, but but different mm. frequencies and all that. Yeah. So then when um <laughs> they decided to put them all into one area, um, yeah, they, they handed out all the all the um redundancies and the other six six area technicians. They all took redundancies and shot through. <laughs> <laughs> so then Port Macquarie was left with the monitor's task yeah. you know, of you know, combining, getting communication, talking between the mm. areas. Because you know, there's some areas like really you know, out west, mm. not northwest in New South Wales that had technology... Yeah, that was that old and repeaters that were yeah, yeah, hundreds of miles between them, and yeah, to get that all over. The city was just had so many advantage advantages over the country, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Like I remember, um, you know, like with radio, yeah. like you know, living in Sid- near Sydney, and you yeah. just had an abundance of radio stations, and yeah. Um, and then on television, you know, like it was completely different then. You had just the main networks. You had what, yeah. Channel 10, 9, 7, ABC, and then SBS came along. Yeah. So you had the five channels. Yeah. And then <laughs> when you went into the country for a holiday, 
Yeah, you're looking <laughs> like at to pop Macquarie. Yeah, you had about two. You had about two. Yeah. You had about two radio stations, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it got a bit boring. Yeah, yeah. yeah that- especially if you wanted to watch the cricket. Yeah, you'd have to watch ABC or um. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know because down in Port Macquarie or south of Port Macquarie, close to Tyree. There's a, there a transmission site hmm. where the TV and radio gets broadcasted from. Yeah. Now, back in the analog days, the ABC had six transmitters to yeah. transmit one station. Hmm. Now, with digital, there's one transmitter and it's transmitting you know, the main ABC and all the other subsidiary ABC channels yeah. out of the one transmitter. Of the one antenna. Yeah, because now you've got things like um, Seven Mate and Seven yeah. Two and Seven Flicks and yeah. like when the Olympics are on or the, you know, when the Commonwealth Games are on. Yeah, yeah. like if the news was on, yeah. on the main Channel 7 or something, yeah. you could just flick over the Seven Two or Seven yeah. Mate and yeah. watch some of the other events. And yeah. yeah, but see, back in the analog days of the TV and the radio, hmm. Yeah, they have one one transmitter and one antenna per channel. Right. So you had the so you had the you know, like the tower, you know, you had big in, transmitting antennas yeah. everywhere. But now, you know, there's virtually just two up there, and they're transmitting all of the signals. Right. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot more that's going through. Yeah. yeah, well, especially, you know, to third world countries. Like I remember when Australia used to play India, you yeah. know, back in the 80s. Yeah. And, yeah, like you'd have to rely on the, the news updates every hour on the radio yeah. to find yeah. out the score, yeah. you know. I remember when the tide test happened and, yeah. you know, I'd be waiting on the edge of my seat trying to, you know, find out. Yeah. But now, gosh, <laughs> like it's just Brought to your television, you know. Yeah. yeah look, where back in those days you thought India was like on another planet. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, you just got it on Fox. You can watch every ball every day yeah. and yeah. and it's, yeah. yeah, it's not so far away anymore. Yeah. Not so foreign. Yeah. yeah. But. Um, yeah, but there's certainly a lot, a lot of technology being developed, you know, like even what's that, that, that one that works with the heat. Hmm. To see where, you know, they can look at the, is it camera that's pointing at the batsman? Yeah. Yeah, you know, to tell what, whether what, they've hit it or not. Yeah. Mm. Where it struck it, yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 It, it's quite amazing. And, oh. and you wonder what it's going to be like in the future. Yeah. Well, it's come along very quickly, hasn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, even in the early days of the, of the third umpire and using the camera, I've seen a few umpire, third umpires go, well, I can't tell. Mm. They've had to refer it back down to the, the field umpire mm. to make the decision. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and that has brought some disadvantages we'll go into later on, but yeah, yeah it has slowed the, the game down a bit, and yeah. especially rugby league. Oh, my yeah. life. You know, yeah. like oh, I just tear my hair out now. Like the referee's in the best position to award a try. Yeah. You know, he's right there on the spot. 
And five minutes later, you get an imbecile in the bunker up in the box. Oh, hang on. No, we've got to have a look at that. And it just completely changed the on-field decision. And the referees and the umpires, you know, they must just put their hands up and think, oh, why do I bother? Yeah, yeah. It's taking away a lot of their power, I guess. Well, that's it. It's it's been like that for Hmm. 100 100 plus years. Yeah. Yeah, whether you were out or not or whether it was a try or not, the umpire's decision or the ref's decision Hmm. was always the final word. Yeah. Yeah, okay, not not every umpire or referee is perfect. And people make mistakes, but yeah, you know, it's still the fact that, mm. that yeah, you know, their decision was final. That's right. Then yeah, you know, they're going and muck around with it. Yeah, paralysis by analysis. Yeah, yeah. Well, when yeah. I think of technology in sport, you know, <laughs> like when I in my cricketing days, yeah, yeah, using the bowling machines at training all uh, the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I used to swing around. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, photo finishes too. Yeah. yeah, like how that's evolved over the years. Like, yeah, yeah I remember that I've got like a book on the Olympics that I at home and yeah. I think it was like the 1952 men's 100-metre final. Yeah. And the only way they could decide the winner of that race yeah. ahead of the all the eight competitors was by a photo finish. Yeah. yeah. Like because <laughs> – Every like from first place to the guy who came last, it was like like a fraction of a second, you know. Yeah. Like it was so close. Yeah, yeah. Well, photo finish has been in um, mm. horse racing and yeah, you know, greyhounds for many years. Mm. Yeah, you know, just to get to see it came in for, over the line by a nose or whatever. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, the use of floodlights. I remember when that came in World Series cricket yeah. back in 1977. Yeah. And then, yeah, they used the lights at VFL Park first, but in the second season of World Series cricket, yeah, Kerry Packer had the lights put up at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Yeah. Oh, boy, and the crowds that came in, that just yeah. brought the crowds in big time. Yeah. And that was when they knew that they'd won. They'd beaten the ACB and, yeah, yeah. And that famous quote from uh, Rod Marsh when he said, oh, what did he say, you know, we're bloody back, we're back. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I remember in, in, in the miniseries mini, yeah, of Packers War, mm. um, uh, John... Yeah, Kerry Packer coming out with um, John Cordell. Who did he play? Oh, he played Strop in no, no, I mean, Logan. In the movie. John Cornell. Yeah, in Packers. On. Yeah, well, that's who he was. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he mm. came out to shame the lights. Yeah. He said, see that one over there? That's yours. <laughs> That's your lights <laughs> and, the, and the rest of mine. Yeah. And apparently from what I heard, each, each light stack mm. cost $200 an hour to run. Yeah. And there's five of them, so there's a grand an hour. <laughs> and they sort of took 20 minutes to warm up. 
Yeah. Yeah, but you, you know, and now they're all LED. So they're a lot less power hungry and yeah, yeah. instant light. Yeah, and every cricket ground in the world's got lights now yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But I remember when it they had it the Melbourne cricket ground for the first time and yeah. um yeah, it's just part of life now, isn't it? Yeah. But I remember when I was a kid, you know, seeing it from the other side of Sydney Harbour in the distance, the SCG lights flood up. And, oh, wow, look at that. Yeah. But, yeah, like you, you know, I, I think of things like you're talking about before, stump cam and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the cameras from both ends. You know, there was that famous quote from Kerry Packer, <laughs> the David Hill, he goes... <laughs> I'm sick of seeing the batsmen's asses because the ABC <laughs> would just show it, have the one camera That's right, yeah. from one end. Yeah. So <laughs> if the, if the batsman was uh, at his back to the camera, yeah. that was all he'd see. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but things like instant replays. Yeah. Yeah, back in the late 70s, you know, with Rex Mossop call on the rugby league. Yeah. And they'd, you know, someone would score a try and he'd go, let's see it again. Yeah. And then they'd, they'd have the slow motion replay. Yeah. And then they'd show it from another angle. Yeah. And then Rex would go, now let's see it from this angle. <laughs> the poor video editor, you know, because he'd have multiple oh. VCRs recording. And it was an angle off on. Yeah, I have to go yeah. back to, um, to um, yeah, find each one. Yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, you know, like hey, it's Saturday. Mar- Murray used to do the sound effects, and they time because they were all off. Eight, eight track cartridges. Hmm. Yeah, they over four thousand sounds, and they tested them one night. That they would name a sound and then tape, then time how long it took him to to find it. Okay, and play it. Yeah. It was about four seconds. Gee. So, yeah, 4,000 uh, cartridges. Mm. Yeah, and to be able to, be able to grab, go straight to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it, cause he, had to think on his, he had to think on his feet. Yeah. To play a sound effect that would fit in with what's just been said or what's about to be said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and... Um also, I think about electronic scoreboards. Yeah. You know, when they came in in the early 80s, I remember. Yeah. They had one at, at the Melbourne Cricket Ground first. That came in, right? Yeah. And then it might have been the following season they put one in in Sydney. Yeah. And, um, you know, just above the hill there, the old hill. Yeah. And whenever there would be a fall of a wicket in a test match or something, yeah, the spectators would run down the hill and then look up at the scoreboard. <laughs> And see the replay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also the, the cameras inside motor cars during a race. Yeah. Yeah, that's just incredible to watch, isn't it? it yeah. Like in Bathurst 1000 and uh, – Yeah. Yeah. It, it, even the motor GP races, the motor yeah. bikes. Yep. Yeah. That, that had the – have a camera on the front of um, McDuan's mm. bike and that. Or, yeah, someone else and that's just behind me doing and just watching him, you know, lean right into the corner and yeah. power back out on this guy. <laughs> they're mad, eh? Yeah, they're, 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 yeah they're, they've got 
they've got um yeah, they they got some they got some big ones. They got guts. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember um the cricket helmets coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Back well it mainly started when World Series cricket started. Yeah. And uh they had the 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 crash helmets. They were yeah. the first ones. Yeah. They were like motorbike helmets. Yeah. And oh, they caused all sorts of problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because yeah. yeah, the batsmen often couldn't hear the calls, so it ended up in all these runouts. And yeah, yeah but there was that game at the Sydney Cricket Ground, yeah. and where Andy Roberts he bowled to David Hooks, and he's tried to hook it, and smashed his jaw in a few places, and yeah. and then Kerry Packer said, "No, he's my star player. I need him on the field. I need him. I need him." Put a helmet on him. Yeah. Uh, but it was amazing, like ever since helmets were introduced, yeah, before that, not many players would get hit in the head. Uh, yeah. Because they were trained more to keep their eye on the ball, where yeah. helmets have sort of taken that away a bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a discussion with my son just this mm. week about there's one council in Sydney. That wants to reduce the speed limit from 50 to 30. Yeah. And I was just saying that to my son that whenever you reduce the speed, you get your skills drop. Mm. When, when, you're, um, when you're driving at a higher speed, you're more alert. Yeah. You, yeah. 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 Like, in Northern Territory, you can do 130. Mm. Uh, yeah, on the on the road that we wouldn't even do 130 on because of mm. yeah, it's just the tar road. But but the skills a lot higher because you're more aware. But yeah, well, some countries like you know in Europe, like with the autobahn, Germany, they've got no speed limits. There's yeah. hardly any accidents. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I know of one guy that was in, there was a, going somewhere with a friend and they were doing about 250 k's an hour mm. and that overtaken by this BMW. Anyway, they didn't think any more of it, about it than about half an hour later. They noticed this, this, this cutting through this forest. Yeah. <laughs> This BMW, yeah, it lost it and gone in Ooh. and didn't stop and it was a kilometre in yeah. to the bush. Yeah. Jeez. So, of course, they, um, he didn't survive. No. Oh, well, that's but, right. But I've got a cousin that lives in Austria and when he first moved there, he was working with a tow truck company. And they would just sit on the side of the autobahn and just wait. Yeah. Yeah. For them to come off. And especially during when it started to come into their, mm. their wet season. Yeah. yeah. And a bit of snow would start to fall and get a little bit icy. He said, yeah, that's when they would just be going off the road left, right and centre. It's all right. They'd still be driving it. Yeah. 200 plus k, k's an hour. Gee. Uh, yeah, but they must laugh when they come over here and see our roads uh, <laughs> compared to theirs. Yeah, yeah. And they're, to they're talking about 
and a lot of upgrade between Sydney and Brisbane. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Maybe even Melbourne and Sydney, but, yeah, we've still got a long way to go that mm. towards Cairns and that. Yeah. And now Bruce Highway isn't, isn't in the best condition. No. Nah. Yeah, nah. that's going to take a long time. Doesn't give him much priority, is it? Nah. Yeah. But, you know, you th- I think of drones too, you know. Like yeah. apparently a lot of drones are used at sporting venues and they, yeah. they keep an eye on um, safety around the ground, you know. They can yeah. identify problems in the crowd and yeah. relay it down. And, yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, they have drone races. Yeah. Gee, that could be an Olympic sport once. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, yeah I, I remember <laughs> um, in the in the Tokyo, the last Olympics we just had, mm. they they almost eleven thousand drones. <laughs> yeah, during the open ceremony. Yeah, and I thought, how do they control that? Gosh, yeah. yeah. Because there's a company that wants to have these taxis that fly ready for the uh, Olympic Games in Brisbane. Mm. And I was talking to I lunch with an old mate of mine who was a Qantas pilot for 41 years. And um, he said, we just got talking about it. He said, well, even like Boeing... Even though they can fly themselves, they still haven't got the um, capacity. Yeah, because like they they would pull a circuit breaker to cause a problem, and then um, and then yeah, the computer would still think it's in the same mode. And of course, if it continued, when the problem happened with the plane, it would have crashed. Gee. So, yeah, he said they still haven't got it yeah. really perfected. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's saying with the drones, hmm. you know, like on the Gold Coast, because they may have a plane coming in towards the airport at 200 feet, 200 metres, and another one at 500. Mm. And he said, well, a drone can go up to 200 metres without any problem. Yeah, exactly. It just goes straight up mm. into an engine and down it goes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they can cause a, a real yeah. safety problem, can't they? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to our quiz now. Okay. It's quiz time. Right, so we've got, they're all multiple choice questions this week. There's five questions, and they all relate to technology and sport, but it's a bit of a history lesson too. Mm. Right, so question one. What year was the first ever live sports broadcast? Now, was it A, 1956, B, 1936, or C, 1921? So what year was the first ever live sports broadcast? So 1956, 1936 or 1921? And the answer is... 
C. I was surprised by this. 1921. Yeah, it was actually it was a boxing event in uh, Pittsburgh, USA, between Johnny Ray. Now that's not the guy from Dexie Midnight Runners song. <laughs> Come on, Eileen. Nah. And John Dundee. And apparently, it helped really promote uh, boxing as a sport. Was that yeah. was that right there? Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, TV came along later on. Yeah. Have a guess. You're not going to believe this, right? But have a guess who was responsible for getting uh, Pot Black s- snooker on TV. Kerry Packer. No. Yeah. David Attenborough. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't pick him, would you? <laughs> yeah. righty question two. In the United Kingdom, the first sport that was telecast live was A, boxing, B, rugby union, or C, cricket. So in the UK, the first sport that was telecast live was A, boxing, B, rugby union, or C, cricket. And the answer is... B, Rugby Union. It was uh, 1927 between England and Wales. Yeah. Yep. Right, third question. The first ever Olympic Games that were telecast live were A, Berlin, 1936, B, Melbourne, 1956, or C, London, 1948. So, was it question number... So question three, the first ever Olympic Games that were telecast live were A, Berlin, 1936, B, Melbourne, 1956, or C, London, 1948. And the answer is B, Melbourne, 1956. So, yeah, apparently, um, you know, a lot of people went out and bought televisions then. Yeah, yeah, that's when television first started in Australia. Uh, yeah, but the first ones that were shown live, like on a te- on a television, um, were in Berlin. Yeah, they'd set them up in theatres uh, around the city in Postdam and uh, yeah. So, uh, right, question number four: the first live colour TV broadcast of the Olympic Games was a nineteen seventy two Munich. B, 1976, Montreal, or C, 1968, Mexico City. So the first live colour TV broadcast of the Olympic Games was A, 1972, Munich, B, 1976, Montreal, or C, 1968, Mexico City. And the answer is... C, 1968, Mexico City. So what was your first colour TV experience, Glenn? Yeah, it was because um, Dad was doing air conditioning work Mm. at the Seabull Townhouse in Sydney. And um, when when they got their colour TVs and come in to go in the rooms, they'd got one of them. And they gave Dad the colour TV, so mm. I still remember him bringing it home and taking out the old black and white, which <laughs> yeah. was, everything was round on it. 
Yeah. You know, the frame was round and all that. I had the old click, 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 and then having this, yeah. having this um, yeah, right. brand spanking new AWA yeah. colour TV. Well, I think they came in in Australia in about 1975, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember, like, really clearly, um, it was Christmas Day one year. I might have been five years old or something. Yeah. And we had this big two-storey house. And yeah. I was upstairs and my dad yells out to everyone in the family, hey, come over here. Come in the sunroom. I've got a big surprise. Yeah. And there was this, there was this big box. And oh, I'm going. Whoa, what's this? Yeah. He opens it up and says, spanking new colour TV. Yeah. yeah. So, um, no, yeah. I remember that really clearly. Yeah. 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 And years ago I um, did a solder job for a, a guy that was in the trunks all his life. Yeah. And, and he, he just finished uh, his trade and he started to – when Colour TV was first coming out, when yeah, you know, everyone was selling them, he went into servicing them. He was the first one in Sydney to service Colour TV. Really? And his business has exploded. Mm. You know, within a couple of months, he was putting on people to, to help him out with the workload. <laughs> you know, just servicing them and repairing and, yeah. and that, yeah. Oh, it just boomed, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So question five now, last one. The split screen on television was first used in which sport? So was it A, darts, B, cricket, or C, baseball? So the split screen on television was first used in which sport? A, darts, B, cricket, or C, baseball? And the answer is A, darts. Yeah. yeah, it was designed to see the emotion of the players yeah. after they threw <laughs> yeah, the dart and hit the board. Yeah. yeah. They'd have to look at their face, see what was their expression. Yeah. yeah. Right, we're going yeah. to – well, we it's different this week. It's not yeah. called Who Am I? It's called What Am I? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, I, haven't, I haven't got the <laughs> – <laughs> That's the all right. Yeah. We'll call it a who am I and what am I. Am I? It's, a, it's a combination. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, so I'm a computer vision system, right, used in many sports such as cricket, tennis and soccer. Now, according to Wikipedia, I was developed in the UK by Paul Hawkins and was originally implemented in 2001 for television purposes in cricket and I normally work via six high-performance cameras, which are normally positioned on the underside of the stadium roof, which track the ball from different angles. Now, the video from my cameras are then triangulated and combined to create a three-dimensional representation of the trajectory of the ball, and I'm apparently accurate to within 3.6 millimetres. Now, I come up on... The screen, that's a shot spot. Now, in tennis, it was first used in the challenge system in 2006 and it became part of the umpire decision review system in cricket in 2009. And in 2013-2014, it was first used by the Premier League as a means of goal line technology. My name is... 
and then we revealed at the end of the podcast. Right. We put, uh, you know, like in tennis, they've, they've used, and also cricket, um, you know, speed cameras that used, the police use. Mm. Yeah, that came fairly early on in the piece. They did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. back in the... Well, the mid-70s, we've, um, you know, they're recording Jeff Thompson bowling over 160 k's an hour. And, yeah, and I don't yeah. know if this is true or whether my mind's making up, uh, but I, I thought I thought it was that they had to get the police to use them. Hmm. Yeah, because they were more trying to, trying to, um, yeah, to be able to use the, hmm. the, the, um, the camera, because you know, traveling up and down the highway, we used to on the CB radios used to say, "Oh, there, there, there's a um, there's a policeman up ahead with a hairdryer." Yeah, because they were shaped like a hairdryer, <laughs> <laughs> and it's good. Yeah, they do, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's called flashy cash. Yeah. Well, I remember back in the, you know, when World Series cricket was on, like in that 1977, 78, around 79, um, they had a competition. Now, if you go to the YouTube, you can watch it. It's still still there. But I remember the night it was on and that it was to, to determine the fastest bowler in the world. Yeah. So, you know, they, they had all the World Series cricket players there. Yeah. And you know they had the speed cameras set up in the nets, and yeah. um, but they got Jeff Thompson out of nowhere, yeah. you know, because they he wasn't signed with World Series cricket then, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know he basically hadn't played; he'd just come from the pub, and <laughs> basically yeah. he won the competition by a mile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember that um, when I was in the Royal Fire Service. Going off to a fire, yeah, you know, towards Taree, and there was a corner just before a town called Kier that the police used to sit. Yeah, and um, yeah, and do the radar checks. Mm. And this is before they became automatic. The guy would actually sit. The policeman would actually lay down in the back seat of the car. Watch the screen and and the um and the speed on on the camera. It was mounted, yeah, on the back of his on the back shelf of the car. So I remember going down. Yeah, we were flying down there, under lights and siren, and I see the car there, and I see this hand come up and give a wave. <laughs> 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 oh god! Yeah. And, and even today, there's um someone in the oh I think it's um main roads that still monitors the fixed cameras mm. because if a, um if an ambulance goes past under lights of time, they'll obviously get. Get um, with copper fire normally, yeah. But they actually monitor them that when that happens, they then contact the co- co- the ambulance call center or the police or whatever to to um 
to even it's done by computers now, but just to make sure that yeah, that vehicle was under lights and sirens. Yeah, but yeah, that, yeah that, because even even with with the technology with um of ambulances and emergency vehicles, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes you've been at the traffic lights and the ambulance or emergency vehicles come the other way and the lights quickly change. Yeah. There's a sensor on the on the traffic lights and and the and there's a blue if you look on the on the dashboard they have the the um red and blue on the dash but in the middle there's a green light. The so right, jeez. And and the um the traffic lights pick that up mm. and change <laughs> and change colour. Well, I'll give you a tip. Whenever they see me coming along, they yeah. can tell. Yeah. <laughs> Red light. <laughs> Especially if I'm in a rush. Yeah. But you got apps on your phone now and they pick up, you know, yeah. where all the red light cameras are yeah. and the speed cameras and yeah. hazards on the road. And yeah. yeah. I, I was coming back from Port Macquarie with a mate of mine mm. and we pulled over the side of the road so that the ambulance goes through. And my mate goes, oh, let's let's follow it, keep up with it. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and it was gone. And yeah. We, yeah, we were in a fourth container and, yeah, and the police car went past the other way mm. and he didn't turn around to try and get us. Oh. <laughs> well, this is a thing. Like they, And I've complained. I've written letters of complaint before when I've got speed fines. And yeah. You know, complaints about, you know, where they put these speed cameras, yeah. you know. Like they put them in places that aren't really going to prevent accidents, you know. Like yeah. they're not in country roads where a lot of the – most of the fatalities are. And yeah. Look, I was going through um, – coming back from Byron Bay on Saturday night late. Yeah. And you're going through, you know, the southern part of the Gold Coast where all that rubbish, you know, that construction's going on. Yeah. And it goes from like 110 – zone to like 80, you know, yeah. when you're going through. Yeah. And I kid you not, I had these two imbecile pea platers drive past me like I was strapped to a gate. Yeah. Yeah. And there was no police around to get that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, like I'm all for those sort of, that technology on the roads, but, jeez, yeah. I wish I'd put it in the bloody right place, not where they're going to get a lot of revenue, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, but but even the technology, you know, like up towards Brisbane where they've got um, just where just after it goes down from 110 to 100 hmm. kilometres an hour, they've got, yeah, you know, half a dozen cameras on the other side of the bridge yeah. to catch people. Hmm. But now... They've got cameras that just look like a, a normal red light camera that can pick up that whole four lanes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But um, but because it, it, they've also got those trailer ones that they move around. That's right. And mm. um, but the Google Maps can actually know yeah. when they've moved. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and no, I've seen them around. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> Because when they first started coming out, people, a guy used to post on Facebook, yeah, free, yeah, like, like, 
take a picture of, <laughs> of the speed camera trailer. Yeah. Yeah, free, just come and get it yourself. Just need bolt cutters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to our where are they now for this week. Hit it, Glenn. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Where are they now? All right, so we've already spoken a bit about him today. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's what got me distracted. I mm. uh, because the, the picture of him looks a, a bit like kind of fruitier. Yeah, yeah, he does a bit, doesn't he? But then, yeah. when, I, but then when I saw the name, I thought, like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's a, he was a great guy. Yeah, Mr. David Hill. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, he certainly took cricket to another level back in the late 70s. And, yeah, I didn't realise this, but um, I was listening to – remember Ian Maurice? He was uh, – I was listening to him being interviewed the other – well, it might have been yesterday. And uh, he was saying that, um, yeah, State of Origin, David Hill was mainly responsible for State of Origin being a great success because yeah. he, he made it an event, you know, yeah. it, um, yeah, and what Ian Maurice said, it would have been on the oh, Continuous Call podcast I was listening to. Um, oh, hang on, that was the Paracave podcast. Yeah, Paracave. Um, yeah, and Ian Maurice said, he, yeah, he was really good at uh, knowing the abilities and strengths of his fellow workers. Uh, yeah. But no, David Hill, he was born in Newcastle, New South Wales in 1946. And he's an Australian-born American executive producer. So he served as the president of Fox Sports from 1993 to 2000 and as a senior executive producer of 21st Century Fox for 24 years. So Hill was the architect of the Fox Sports empire and he was instrumental with helping Kerry Packer with innovations in World Series cricket. Now Ian Chappell, the former Aussie a great cricket captain. He mentioned that the pattern that Hill used back then in 1977 is still the basis of cricket coverage today, even though a lot of technology has come along since then. So what helped Hill, according to Chapel, was that before World Series cricket, he had experience in all facets of television. So, you know, he was a writer. He had experience behind the camera. He was also experienced oh. in production. So he knew all facets of it, and yeah. that's what he brought into World Series cricket. Yeah. So although World Series cricket got off to a very shaky start, so they had, you know, very small crowds and, you know, that scene from How's That? <laughs> like I saw it the other night yeah. when I was watching it for about the 10th time. Yeah, yeah the sight screen <laughs> falling down. <laughs> I don't know how much of that series was true, though. I just find it hard to believe that Kerry Packer was that that angry all the time, you know. Oh no, he I'm sure he was, but no, oh boy, <laughs> no, he what he, he, he was, he was like that. But yeah. also, he was also very generous. Oh yeah. If exactly. you done the, because I've, I've had some mates that used to work for him, mm. and they said, yeah, he's just like that. He's, yeah, he's real bully. Bully, mm. but if you keep him informed. He didn't have a problem wrong with it. Yeah. Like one of my mates was his electrician around his home. 
and and Kay wanted to know everything that was happening. Hmm. If if he did something that time, Kerry got the shit. Oh yeah, but <laughs> go off like the guns are never own. But but if, if me mate when we mate went up to tell him, because he only did, did that once. Yeah, you know, but when mate went up to tell him what needed to be done, Kerry said, "That's fine." Yeah, and we mate he go, "Well, I'll get back to you with the price." He goes, no, just do it. <laughs> yeah, so as long as he was kept informed, mm. he was good. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he did a lot for the community that, that wasn't um, recognised until after he passed away. Like packer, mm. packer workers, heart defibrillators. That's all right. Mm. Yeah. He, he happened to get the only, one of the only ambulances in Sydney that had one and then because he nearly died from a heart attack himself didn't yeah. he? he needed like major heart surgery yeah. and yeah anyway yeah when he found out that yeah not all the ambulances were fitted with them he went out and brought them mm. uh, brought hundreds of them yeah you know, so every ambulance could, could yeah you know, could have one yeah yeah, so you know, I've heard the mountain of stories of you know, the good that he's done mm. c- c- compared to other very wealthy Australians, which yeah you know, just looked after their own back. Bit self-centered, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but World Series cricket it went on to become a big success, and although Packer was the boss, Hill was creating the on-air product. So according to the journalist Paul Fenn in the Australian Media Hall of Fame.com, Hill produced a wide world he produced the wide world of sports in the 1980s, which, which was hosted by Ian Chappell and the late Mike Gibson. You remember watching that show every on Saturday Arvos, Glenn? Yeah. Yep. And it provided entertainment, great entertainment on a Saturday afternoon. And, yeah, sports were introduced that viewers had never seen before, like wife-carrying competitions and (laughs) (laughs) female bodybuilding (laughs) as well. I remember they had a debate about that once. Yeah, and Hill was a master at broadcasting, Fenn said. He said, quote, when Hill made a decision, that was it. Everyone went for it 100%, end of quote. Now, some of Hill's innovations include a daddles a duck (laughs) (laughs) who would appear on the screen when a batsman was out for a duck. That is no runs. Yeah, Yeah, and they've still got that today, haven't they? Yep. Now, the viewers on TV loved it and the unhappy batsman learnt to accept it. (laughs) I remember there was one day, (laughs) yeah, Cosy Omar, he was a character. He was a former Pakistan batsman and – I think it was in like the World Championships of cricket final back in 85 and he got out for a duck, you know. I think he got clean bowled by Capel Dev. And, and when he's walking off the field, because Daddles a duck would come up on the electronic scoreboard as well, not just the TV. It'd come up on the big screen. Because <laughs> he Momar's turned around, got his his gun, his um, bat, pretending it's a gun. And he's... <laughs> <laughs> Pretending to go duck shooting. <laughs> I, I remember watching one match that, 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 yeah. that someone got out for duck. Mm. But then the person um, 
that came in also got out for dark. Yeah. But the guy that was operating the 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 the, the dark it took him a few seconds to get uh, back up again. Yeah. Because he wasn't expecting to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, have the, the guy <laughs> go up first ball again. Yeah. So, yeah, the, so um, also he brought in cameras around the ground and, yeah, wicket microphones. So there was that scene from How's That where, um, yeah, they put a, a condom, an yeah. unused condom over a microphone on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, they're talking about oh, yeah. To protect it from the rain. Yeah, it's not very weatherproof. And then one of the technicians said, I've got a condom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so whether that was really true, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was. Yeah. But, yeah, the main thing was that they introduced the white ball. So um, Ian Chappell and how's that? He says to David Hall, he says, quote, is this TV or cricket? In the <laughs> quote. Yeah. But there was that scene where um, Dennis Lilly, he's bowling, I think, Dean Chappell, and they've got the lights on and yeah. David Hill's on the ground and he's, you know, got his headphones on and yeah. there's someone up in the... In the booth. Yeah, yeah. in the booth, you know, seeing what the ball looks like on TV. Yeah. And... You know, Ian Chappell's going because he was batting and, oh, that ball's great. Let's go with the, you know, let's go with the pink one. Yeah, definitely in uh, the yellow one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, David Hill would get this uh, message from the, the booth up in the stand. Uh, no, no, it doesn't come out well on TV, uh, Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, eventually they decided on the white ball because it looked better on TV. Uh, um but the thing was with that white ball, especially in the 50-over games, the one-day games, eventually it would, um, you know, get all chuffed up. Yeah. And instead of going, you know, being white, it yeah. would start turning brown. And when yeah. you go and watch a game at night time, live, yeah. you'd often lose, you know, focus of where the ball was. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, yeah, but other innovations included keeping viewers aware of the score and the amount of time left to play on the TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they'd tell you, you know. And I think that came in with Rugby League back in the, like the mid-90s. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Now, in 1988, Hill decided to leave Australia and he went to London and worked for another media tycoon, Rupert Murdoch. Now, Hill, Hill played a major role in building and launching Sky Television in 1988 and Sky Sports in 1991 and Fox Sports and Eurosports. Now, Hill moved to Los Angeles in 1993 and he created the Regional Sports Network and became the president of the Fox Network, taking Fox from a distant fourth place to challenge and beat the three major networks. So he became chairman of National Geographic Channels in 2014 and later executive producer for the TV show American Idol. Gosh, it's still going on over there. Uh. And the American version of The X Factor. Now, he went on to produce six Super Bowls as well. Jeez. So, yeah, he's come a long way. Uh. Now, when Brian Fenley from Fox Sports Radio interviewed Hill earlier this year, Hill mentioned that he started on TV when he was just 19 years old. Now, after barely making it through, Hill, through high school, Hill walked into his first control room 
He went from initially being a copy boy at the Daily Telegraph in Sydney, then a journalist, then worked behind the camera doing the TV sport at Channel 7 in Melbourne. Now, at 27 years of age, Hill moved into production and two years later he produced his first live show and produced his first live sports show at 31 years of age. Now, Hill mentioned that he had great training from the pros and he learnt that it was important to earn the trust and respect of those in the control room. Mm. And he's carried this with him everywhere, everywhere with him. Uh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so what he, what he also did, and this is what Ian Maurice said as well, like he encouraged rugby league callers to watch the monitor uh. and just throw away the binoculars. <laughs> he uh. said, get rid of them. Uh. They're no good. Because, you know, for years and years, they'd be using their binoculars while they're there. But he said, no, the best way to see what's happening is look at the monitor. Yeah, yeah, because I think, yeah, yeah, all the cameramen just uh, just Mm. keeping the eye on everything. Yeah. Just thinking 10 steps ahead. That's right. Yeah. You know, Ian Maurice, yeah, apparently, because he used to call the rugby league for Channel 10. Yeah. Um, you know, with Graham Hughes and Rex Mosser. Uh, and, yeah, he didn't get along with Graham Hughes. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so that was a, a scoop yesterday. Uh, Couldn't believe that. Mm. Uh, they said, yeah, Rex mellowed towards the end of his career. Initially he was a nightmare. You know, but, uh, but Graham Hughes would always be getting into Rex. And uh, mm. So David Hill, he has three rules he has abided by, which are the essence of TV. So number one, less is more. Two, be cool and be yourself. So, yeah, he said the first time at Fox he noticed the staff were very tense. Yeah. So, and that affected their performance in the control room. And yeah. that's like a sporting performance too. Like, well, it was like Parramatta that in 2001. They dominated the whole season by a mile, yeah. broke all these records. Yeah. And then just, you know, the week – leading up to the grand final. Yeah. So they, they had a grand final breakfast. And they, yeah. I think they still have it today. Um, yeah, and at the grand final breakfast, the Newcastle players already knew they were going to win because they could see how tense Parramatta was. Yeah. Another example was, um, yeah, Ian Chappell, he was saying that um, like the first game of the 2003 Cricket World Cup, like yeah. South Africa were playing the West Indies and uh, it was in South Africa. Uh, and Ian Chappell, he's never been a fan of these, you know, how players all get together in a, you know, in a huddle and uh, listen to a, you know, big team talk from the captain. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Ian Chappell knew straight away, no, <laughs> you know, the West Indies are going to win this because they're all cool and relaxed and uh, South Africa were really tense, you know, in their huddle and, yeah, and South Africa lost the match. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so he, he said, and the third one, assume nothing. Hill has always seen sport as entertainment and emotion. Yeah, so David Hill, he was responsible for bringing NFL to Fox in 1993, even though he admits he knew nothing about it being an Aussie. Uh, now, Hill reported that he never went to a live sports event until he was 26 years of age. Yeah, so what what he thought was important, David Hill, wasn't so much the actual game. A lot of it 
with the, with the NFL. It was the the pre match. Yeah. What was going? You know, um, sort of set up a pre match show yeah. and a post match show. Yeah. yeah, and they've got that like in rugby league today, haven't they? And yeah. the other sports, AFL, and yeah. yeah. So when Hill introduced his concepts, he did experience pushback, especially uh, overseas. However, he always stayed true to himself. Now, <clears throat> according to the Australian Media Hall of Fame, Rupert Murdoch believes Hill, as a TV producer, changed the viewing experience of nearly all major sports on three continents. Yeah. Now, Hill went on to the US and produced six Super Bowls and the Academy Awards and he was the leading figure in the launch of Sky Television in the UK, the Fox Network, the Fox Sports and Regional Sports Network. Now, in the US, his on-air innovations included the use of constant score and time graphics, the glowing hockey puck, <laughs> and first down lines superimposed on the gridiron field. Uh. Yeah. So let's look at what David Hill's doing today. So he's today... Yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but yeah. for, for a couple of years he was the head of the ABC. Was he? Yeah. Oh, really? But I think it was only a couple of years and then left because, mm. the, yeah, they started the stuff around. Oh, okay. It doesn't and, surprise and me. And they just walked out. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, even looking back at the how's that, Kerry Packer's series when <laughs> Kerry thought there was five cameras and then yeah David Hill said oh no this you know seven's better than five and then kept mm. going yeah yeah uh, it's sort of that that reaction went for Kerry to go after the seven cameras, but yeah, <laughs> he would have got a lot of pushback at the ABC. Oh, I'll give you the tip. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I think that's where he came from because they were good at showing the batsman's backside. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it was only one cable out for the broadcast. Mm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So David Hill today, he's seventy-six years of age, and he's taking it much easier now. He's basically semi-retired. And he set up his own production company called Hilly Productions yeah, that, according to Deadline Hollywood, focuses on live events. And in 2015, Hill was appointed executive producer of the Academy Awards, the Oscars. Mm. Yeah, I never knew that. Oh. Mm. Now, Hill has won some prestigious awards, which include an outstanding live sports special award, at the 33rd Sports Emmys for producing the 2011 World Series. Now, in 2017, he received the Pete Rozelle Radio Television Award from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And in 2014, Hill was inducted into the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Now, Hill totally revolutionised sports broadcasting in Australia, at Channel 9, and also in the UK and the US, and has made his way to the top of that television world. And that's a story of Mr. David Hill. Right. So let's look at some different types of technology in sport. There's a whole heap of it, but we'll just cover some of it today. Yeah. So just looking at match officials and players mic'd up. So 
According to the Wheel of Sport podcast, as far back as 1929, Major League Baseball umpires were wired up, which was then linked to the PA system around the stadium, informing the crowd of a ball or strike. Mm. So, yeah, they started it way back then. Yeah. It was called an amplifier. Yeah. <laughs> now, you see players mic'd up, such as in 2020 cricket, you know, when that came in. Yeah. yeah, there'd be a couple of players on the ground, you know, where commentators could talk to them. Yeah. Um, and you see officials in cricket, rugby league and union and America, American football mic'd up. Yeah. Well, especially American football, they've umpires have been mic'd up for years. And yeah. um, But we, what are your opinions on players being mic'd up, Glenn? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I don't think, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah. Not all the time, but just, you know, which I've, you know, I've watched them, you know, especially remembering, you know, when they've been talking to, oh, um, Gilchrist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, there was that funny story, um, there was that T20 game, you know, when T20 first came, it was yeah. really big back in uh, the mid no, oh, it would have been like 2006, 07, and they were playing England in a T20 match. Yeah. And Adam Gilchrist was batting and he's all mic'd up and he's telling us this true story of, um, you know, when he was playing in England. This is while he's in the middle of the pitch and he's batting, you know, against England in front of a packed crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, like his, his nickname is Church. Yeah. yeah. And one of the, the commentators asked him, hey, Gilly, now tell, tell everyone, tell the TV audience, how did you get your nickname, Church? And he was saying, oh, you know, I went to, when I was playing in England for Australia, touring with them and my first tour and, um, you know, all these kids came up and, you know, we were signing our autographs for them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this kid goes, oh, thanks you, thank you, Mr. Gill Church. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's how he, that was great entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, those I had it in um, motorsport. Yep. Yeah, they, they had some cameras, not just the camera on the cars and bikes, mm. but also they had the driver mic'd up. And yeah. Just talking. <laughs> some of them yeah, would, like, even talk for a lap of, you know, go, <coughs> you know, in the middle of the race, they'd be you know, asking someone to, yeah. you know, to do a lap and talk about how they handle the track. It's great theatre too because I remember when Mark Webber won his first Formula One race and Daniel Ricciardo, yeah. you know, they're there in their car going over the finish line and, you know, you can hear them on their mic going, yeah, just the, yeah. the jubilation and, yeah, yeah. but – no, I guess there's some negatives to it. You know, you, get, you hear a lot of swearing. Um, <laughs> it was that time about 10 years ago with Warney and that T20 game and he's swearing at Marlon Samuels and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going up and grabbing his shirt. And, yeah. You want to grab some people, Marlon? Yeah. yeah. F you, mate. Yeah, yeah well, someone's obviously just left the mic on. Mm. Yeah. But there was that awesome theatre of um, – Warney once, he was playing in a match and he's all mic'd up 
and he's talking about each delivery he's going to bowl before he bowls it and what he's trying to do. Yeah. And he was bowling to the great Brendan McCallum, you know, the great New Zealand batsman. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to get him out this ball, you watch. I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. And that's what he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember Glenn McGrath, he did the same. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, just the intelligence of him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and we also have the slow motion video. So that was first used in 1961. And it was used to improve the skill and work on another skill and can also go back to certain skills and fine-tune them and improve upon them and make them more efficient. So, yeah, I'd, I'd often use this when coaching cricket, um, especially with fast bowling, you know. Yeah, because yeah, and with batting too, you know, you could break down the different parts of a skill. Yeah. And especially with fast bowling because, you know, it's so important like to prevent injuries. Yeah. Because yeah. if what you don't want is when they're going into their delivery stride, you don't want them to have a mixed action. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, you know, there's two accepted actions of bowling. It's either fully front on or fully side on. Yeah. But it's when you're in between, yeah, that's when back stretch, you know, stress fractures in the back and, yeah, yeah can happen. So. Yeah. Yeah, in esports, so or short for electronics, electronic sports. So it's a form of competition using video games, and it often takes the form of organised multiplayer video game competitions. So they've spoken about it being introduced into future Olympic and Commonwealth Games. Are you a fan of that, Glenn? <laughs> yeah. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see some of the, the Red Bull sports. Yeah? I like, you know, watching them sometimes. Uh, I just see it as a hobby, you know, like I just, yeah. no. Nah. I'll turn it up if that ever makes yeah. it into, yeah. <laughs> I'll just think, what the world, what does the world come to? Yeah, one of the things that's on my wish list that when I move into this, this new place mm. is I want to get myself a pinball machine. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, you don't see many of them any net anymore, yeah. do you? Yeah, but there's, yeah. But, yeah, but there's, I think there's a girl that lives down around um, Kalingara on the Gold Coast, and she's won quite a few championships. Oh, okay. Sort of eighty thousand or plus mm. prize money. Yeah. For playing pinball. Jeez. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so the common genres associated with these sports are multiplayer online battle arena, first-person shooter, fighting, card and real-time strategy, and there's popular franchises which include League of Legends, Counter-Strike and Street Fighter. Now, the FIFA video games are believed in some cases to have developed new skills on the field where the skill didn't exist before. Yeah. That's interesting. Never knew that. Maybe like scissor kicks and that in football and yeah. yeah. So with sporting equipment and surfaces, a British cyclist Chris Boardman, he was the first to use the Lotus carbon fibre bike in 1992. Now the BioFloat was developed to improve cyclist comfort when on the saddle of the bike. So Sports Insight. .co.uk mentions that the innovative seat uses carbon fibres along with a damping system to transfer the impact of the cyclist pedalling to the bike. 
And it's also flexible and can move with the rider's hips. Yeah. So virtual cycling, which allows riders to experience the same conditions as in a real race. So they've also got that in cricket now, you know, with the, the top players. Yeah. So they'll be in the nets, you know, the indoor nets. They'll have the bowling machine yeah. and they'll have like a reality environment set up, you know, on a screen. So say, yeah. you know, so you're getting used to that bowler coming in. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And tennis surfaces, they've changed a lot over the years. So example is where they changed the colour of the surface used for the Australian Open. So it used to be green, they changed it to blue to make it more appealing to the TV audience. And there's been much experiment, experimentation that's taken place in regards to cricket balls. So, yeah, we were having a chat about that before. And mm. so now that, you know, with, they brought in day-night test, test matches. Yeah. Um, so they used to have them back in World Series cricket days. But, yeah, yeah they just got rid of them after that. And yeah. that was a bit strange, but... They brought them in to try and, you know, this was about ten years ago. That try and get, get more, yeah, get the crowds back, and yeah, yeah and they use a pink ball, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah so uh, yes, and with tennis rackets. So <laughs> I remember, you know, when I was a kid, we had these old wooden tennis rackets, you yeah. know, yeah. Ken Rosewall, and yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, so according to higherintelligence.com, Wilson Sporting Goods introduced the first metal racket in 1967, now which increased the lifespan of rackets and stiffness, not the weight. Mm. Now, by 1980, wooden rackets became a thing of the past and graphite rackets became popular and were lighter. Now, in 2014, along came smart rackets, now, with chips in the handle to record things such as power and spin. Gosh, it's amazing. Mm. Now, with stadiums, so if you're looking at design and the roof, so, so with air conditioning, there's going to be air conditioning that's used in stadiums in the upcoming World Cup in Qatar for spectator comfort. Mm. Imagine getting cooked there in that 50-degree heat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Geez, I know they're going to need it there. So the Australian Open moved to Melbourne Park in 1988 and the centre court um, came with a retractable roof. And then Dockland Stadium in Melbourne or Marvel Stadium, that opened in 2000 um, with a retractable roof. And I've been there, seen a few sporting events there. It's just just incredible. That's just a really impressive facility, that. Yeah. But, yeah, all of a sudden they could play one-day internationals um, in the middle of winter. Yeah. I remember they had this series between Australia and South Africa in about 2000. Yeah. yeah and it was like in the middle of June. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, stadiums could convert ground seating from oval to rectangular configurations. So, yeah, I went on a tour of, um, you know, the Olympic Stadium in Sydney way back in 2003. Yeah. Yeah, and then when we went near the field there, they showed us how they do it. Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if there's an AFL game, they just take the seats back and just using a a button, you know, and all these seats just roll back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's on like a platform. Yeah. And then say if it's a 
NRL game or state of origin. Yeah, they just bring the seats forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, um, yeah, but if you ever get a chance, go, go and do a, a tour of a stadium, of yeah. these famous stadiums. Always, I've done some really good ones over the years, you know, the Lords and yeah. um, Wembley, the old Wembley Stadium, Melbourne Cricket Ground, I've done that a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, Sydney Cricket Ground. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing one at Suncorp. Yeah, so yeah. that'd be interesting. Now, sponsors can now be connected to fans, and according to SEN.com, gone are the days of configure signage and rotating banners. Now, the first scoreboard in Australia was erected at the MCG in Melbourne in 1881, and the first video board in 1982. Now, in 20, between 2011 and 2015, uh, AFL venues began installing LED boundary signage. Now, the MCG and Marvel Stadium were the first to have full 360-degree LED boundary signage at ground level in 2015. Now, in 2017, the Adelaide Oval received a big upgrade and it led the way for, te- for teams to begin creating spectacular audio-visual shows for their entry onto the field, uh, goals and winning celebrations. So that's one good thing that the Titans do well, you know, when you go and see a game here is when they're running onto the field, you know, with all the lights and the, the fireworks going off and, yeah. <sighs> now, tracking race time. So in 1964, Seiko launched its new electronic automated timing system with a photo finish mechanism improving accuracy to one one hundredth of a second. Now, in 2008, photo finish equipment captures 3,000 photos per second to track winners in races. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, in the past, you know, it'd be many races, they'd be a draw, but now yeah, it's different because mm. yeah. of that advancement in tracking race times. Now, if we look at clothing and swimsuits, so in the 1950s, there, was, there were lighter and flatter track shoes that were designed to find the perfect balance of optimal grip and comfort. Now, in 2012, along came athletic apparel, which measured heart rate, respiratory activity, posture speed, and weight distribution. And in 2016, new clothing was designed to wick sweat away from the body by evaporation instead of absorbing it. I remember when I used to play cricket on really hot days, I used to wear this thing around my neck Uh, and it was called a coolant and I'd soak it in uh, icy cold water uh, and put it around my neck. uh, (laughs) And it only worked for a little while. uh, (laughs) Yeah, not not the whole day. uh, But in swimming, nylon was developed in the 50s and lycra in the 80s, which enabled swimsuits to be more form-fitting and less water absorbent. Now, in 2008, Speedo's LZR swimsuit was designed to reduce drag and increase performance. It made its debut at the Beijing Olympics in 2008, and 94% of races won and 98% of records broken were done with competitors using the suit. Yeah, I remember that. However, the following year in 2009, the International Swimming Federation, FINA, banned full body suits, noting that swimsuits, swimsuits, 
Yeah, should use textiles and be between the waist and knees for males, not beyond the shoulders or below the knees for females. Yeah, so if you look at some of the swimmers at the Olympics 100 years ago, <laughs> compared, yeah. you look at their costumes back then compared to now, oh, yeah. my life. Yeah. Like chalk and cheese. Now, the higher... In- Higherintelligence.co.uk website mentions that the London Aquatic Centre can eliminate ambient water energy from waves, which causes swimmers to slow down. Yeah, so I think we had Duncan Armstrong on. He was one of our former Where Are They Nows. He might have been our very first clean. Yeah, but there was all that controversy after he won that race at um, the 88 Olympics where he beat the great Matt Biondi. And Matt Biondi, he was just this, like he was this huge, huge man. And when he was swimming, he'd create all these big waves, you know. And they reckon, oh, Armstrong only won and broke the record because he just rode Biondi's waves. Uh. So, uh, yeah, note the change in rugby jerseys now too, you know, going to the collar jerseys and – now they're replaced by these these skin tight things that I just can't stand to look at. Oh, yeah. collar jerseys were great. Yeah. Uh, no, they're just ugly things now. Mm. Now, if we look at neuroscience in 2017, now this is just fascinating. This the halo headband was first released to the public. This type of technology prepares the brains of athletes for training and a big race by delivering pulses that help neurons fire together. Now, in 2019, the Halo 2 was released, which involves putting the headband on 20 minutes before a race to improve the brain's ability to make new circuits, making athletes perform better and faster. (laughs) Did you know that? Wow. Now, video technology. So in 2012, the Video Assistant Referee System also known as VAR, was tested for the first time. Now, in 2016, it was used during a friendly between France and Italy, and due to its success, it was used as a pitch-side monitor in the FIFA Club World Cup. Yeah, so I remember in, uh, well, there was State of Origin, they, they had a camera that went along a track along the sideline. Have you seen them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think they've still got them. Now, in 2017, the A-League became the first competition to use VAR in a top-flight professional league with the MLS, uh, Bundesliga and Serie A following suit. Now, in 2018, the VAR was used for the first time in England and in an FA Cup game, and La Liga introduced the technology for the 2018-2019 season. And it was also used most uh, publicly... In the World Cup, with IFAB officially writing VAR laws into the game of football. Now, in 2019, the VAR began to be used in the Premier League and the Champions League for, according to FIFA, game-changing decisions, including the validity of goals, penalties, red cards and offsides. Now, we look at some fan pundit technology now. Now, in 1997, the first ever large LED screens were installed in UK football stadiums. Now, 20 years later, we have the first rotating 
LED screen and World Football, which was installed at Carrow Road, which is the home of Norwich City. And in the same year, Sky Sports installed an interactive board in their studio for match analysis. Mm. So, yes, yeah, completely different now when you watch, you know, like the footy on Channel 9 and uh, on Fox and, uh, you know, what they bring up on the screen. Uh, yeah. And, you know, in the early days, yeah, well, Peter Sterling started off and Andrew Johns does it a, a bit now, not so much, but they use um, like a texter on the screen to highlight team moves in NRL. Uh, and, yeah, like in Channel 9 commentators in cricket, yeah, Tony Gregg, <laughs> he would often uh, show where he should – he'd put like crosses on the screen. Uh, that fielder should be over there and uh, put a fielder there. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so two giant television screens at Wembley Stadium, which is a former where are they now? Uh, yeah. Are the equivalent of – 1,200 domestic televisions. Oh. Yeah. So with data tracking, in 2010, rugby league team, the Bradford Bulls, became the first team to use GPS tracking to collect data and stats on player performance. And in 2016, uh, sensors placed under the players' jerseys began to be used to track heart rate, field positions, fatigue, rehabilitation and injury prevention. Gosh, so that, I wonder, that, wonder if that occurred during a game or just training. I think it would have been a game, surely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, virtual reality. Well, I think it's created a lot of controversy, that data tracking, you know, because I think they, they've used that with the Aussie cricket team. Yeah. And, you know, they appointed that bloody Pat Howard as yeah. – um, Oh, in this position of, you know, um, performance. Um, oh, like he had, he had this position of performance uh, management and that. Uh, and, you know, all these fast bowlers like Mitchell Stark would be getting rested, uh, you know, <laughs> like all due because of data tracking. Uh, oh, you know, they, their level should be this when it's this and, uh, yeah, no, oh, gosh. That just created massive controversy. Mm. But with virtual reality, in 2016, it was introduced for the first time and used in rugby union. Now, a VR app, a virtual reality app, allowed English fans to compare their reaction times against ex-players such as Martin Johnson, Lawrence Lallier. Now, in 2019, VR headsets were used by some club and international teams to create simulated rugby scenarios such mm. as lineouts, high balls, and first phase attacks. Now, the aim was to improve players' mental learning, visualization, and decision making, and it's used also in indoor nets in cricket. Yeah. yeah. Now, virtual imaging in 2000, ORED High Tech Systems introduced virtual imaging, including its virtual world record line in professional swimming trials and events. <clears throat> now, this, was, uh, this technology created a superimposed line on the surface of the water and graphics to show existing world records. So they showed this, you know, with this Romanian teenager who broke the world record the other day. Yeah, uh, like how, where he was in relation as a line 
during the race that's yeah. superimposed on the screen yeah. of where the world record is. Yeah. yeah. And I remember they had that, you know, with Ian Thorpe as well. Uh, and he's like, you know, five metres in front of this superimposed line. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think he's going to get it. I think uh, he's going to break the world record. Uh, yeah. And uh, ex-wife, she made a comment, I think it was at track and field. Mm. Yeah, but superimposed the world record line. Yeah. And she said, oh. Is that for real? And, and my son came out and said, yeah, mum. They stop them running. Come to freeze while they run out and draw the line. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but one thing they have too now, and you see it, you know, we saw it last week at the Commonwealth Games, and they yeah. have these virtual flags, yeah. which are designed by, um, it's called Road, and Representers rep- representing each swimmer in their lane in swimming events and athletic events. Yeah, yeah. So you'll see the competitors there, and they'll yeah. have a um, they'll flash up, you know, on the screen the flag of their country, yeah. and yeah. So they also have dive cam. Now this was introduced in two thousand and eight. Now the drop gravity dive cam was developed to film each diver's motion in freefall. Now, the camera moves up and down a 50-foot tube above and below water level and films each diver in smooth, linear motion. Now, due to the laws of physics, the camera is always in line with the diver as they descend. And radar guns, we were having a chat about that before, but in 1991, IBM speed technology was first introduced at Wimbledon. Uh, now, two radar sensors at the baseline of each side of the court record the speed of the ball once it's hit. Now, the data for each player's serve is automatically recorded on IBM's central tournament database. Uh, now, according to Reem, Adalazam in en.as.com, Aussie Sam Groff, he hit the fastest serve ever in 2012. Now, get ready for this. <laughs> 263.4 kilometres an hour. Wow. Bless my soul. In Busan, South Korea. And he lost the match. Yeah. <laughs> he must have been a good returner, whoever beat him. Yeah. Imagine facing that bullet. Yeah. yeah. You can actually see it on, yeah, you can watch, actually view the serve yeah. on uh, YouTube and Twitter and, uh. yeah. Now, in cricket, the fastest bowl ever delivered is by Pakistan Shah Bakhtar at 161.3 kilometres an hour. Now, I dispute that because I know, you know, if they had the right technology back in the 70s with Tomo, because yeah. a lot of, lot of players, they say that Tomo consistently bowled above 160, even yeah. approaching 170. Yeah. But it's just with Shah Bakhtar, the technology now is yeah. more – you know, reliant. Yeah. Yeah, more accurate. Now, the fastest pitch in baseball, according to John Denton in MLB.com, was by relief pitcher Jordan Hicks in 2018 at 103.8 miles per hour or 167.05 kilometres an hour. Now, with golf clubs, according to engineering.com, in 1750, club heads began to be made out of iron. 
And in the 1870s, factories began to mass-produce iron clubs, making them more lighter and consistent. The technologies, golf's one sport where technology's just boomed, you know. Uh. Yeah. So in 1925, the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St Andrews, the governing body of golf, legalised the use of steel-shafted clubs, which provided greater accuracy and durability. Now, after World War II, many golf clubs were introduced, such as the ping putter, the graphite shaft, and the big bertha driver. <laughs> oh. Now, today, the gear is typically made from metal, and drivers can be adjusted to a certain weight. Now, golfers have also seen the introduction of custom-made golf clubs. Yeah, so there's that golfer Bryson DeChambeau, and he has each of his clubs, <laughs> like, measured and made to a certain measurement. Uh. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So today there are golf carts with GPS or satellite-based global positioning systems in them. Now, a computer and a 10-inch display shows an overview of every hole to allow the golfer to find the next hole and how to play the shot. Now, the system also provides different views of the course and score data. Yeah. So sensors on the golf cart can also determine the distance from the tee to the ball. Now, using distance measuring lasers, golfers can easily access the number of yards required for any shot. Yeah. Now, they can also use swing sensors. Now attached to gloves or clubs to measure swing speed, tempo and angle to guide them in taking a shot. Now the Dobler radar can measure the golfer's movement, the shot distance and the trajectory of the ball. Yeah. So when you watch the the golf now on TV, like whenever a a player's done like a tee shot, Mm. you know, and a lot of these coverages – yeah, they've got like a line that yeah. shows where the ball's going on the screen. Uh, where before, you know, you just had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So apps such as Arcos are using sensors to provide data tracking to help golfers improve their swings. Now with augmented reality, golfers can similarly use an app to scan the golf course around them and create a digital interface of the hazards and best paths in the real world and in real time. Now, smart balls such as the GN, um, GN2, I think it is, yeah, and the Genius balls, which have embedded sensor and onboard MCU that transmits data to a smartphone via Bluetooth. Now, the balls can measure total distance, backspin, and initial ball speed, and they can also they can also connect to a club to provide more detail into the grip and the force of the shot. Jeez. Mm. Now, technology has enabled broadcasters to quickly find the information they need. Now, the PGA Tour collects around 32,000 data points at each game and has 174 million Mm. shot attributes in its database. Uh. Jeez. So, yeah, if we look at some disadvantages of technology in sport, well... You know, sometimes the technology needs to be embedded and improved before it's fully effective. Mm. Now, often the problems only emerge after time. So, you know, an example is um, with this bunker. 
in rugby league. Like, look at what happened a few weeks ago with that, you know, when West Tigers were completely robbed with a second to go against North Queensland. Yeah. And, you know, that was when the, you know, Ashley Klein in the bunker made that yeah. imbecilic decision yeah. and overrided what the on-field referee had said, yeah. you know, and, yeah, like – it was just one of the worst decisions. Well, it's, it's the worst one I've ever seen. And I've been watching rugby league for nearly 50 years. Yeah. 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 But, um, you know, also like the LBW tracker, league before wicket tracker in cricket to determine the an LBW decision in cricket, you know, it relies on six cameras placed at special positions around the ground to track the path of the ball. So, yeah, what it does, it picks up the traje- trajectory of a delivery right from the moment it leaves the bowler's arm to when the ball becomes dead. Yeah, so, you know, there's a big space from the batting crease uh, to where the stumps are. Like, it'd be about a metre and a half, I reckon. Uh, so that ball could do anything, especially if the batsman is a bit further down the wicket. Uh, so I remember... Back when I was playing, and you see it on TV now, if a batsman gets hit on the front foot, mm. he's very unlikely to be, you know, back then he was basically no chance of being given out LBW, you yeah. know, because he was just too far down the wicket. Yeah. But now they've got this bloody technology, and I call it Nostradamus, because <laughs> yeah. how it can tell what that ball is going to do yeah. from two metres after it hits a pad to the wicket... <laughs> Yeah. I got no idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um yeah, like yes like there was that recent cricket match, you know, between South Africa and India, and it was where umpire Marais Aramis um was certain the ball was gonna hit the stumps, you mm-hmm. know? Like so yeah, South Africa's Dean Elgar, he's their captain. He was batting at the time and it was like just in a crucial part of the match, yeah. you know. And, you know, well, he was absolutely plump. <laughs> like it was going to knock middle stump out of the ground. And all yeah. the Indian players are going up and, yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, Dean Elgar's reviewed it like after he was given out. Yeah. And... This stupid technology determines that the ball was flying well over the stumps. Yeah. <laughs> and South Africa went on to win the test match and the Indian players, are, some of them are getting into the mic, cricket, the stump microphone, you know, abusing the <laughs> third umpire and the technology. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's one disadvantage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, Nah, but that, I've seen that happen on quite a few occasions, actually, and mm. it's just the worst technology. Where I think the other technology they have in cricket has, you know, brought a lot of advantages. Like yeah. it helps getting rid of the howler. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, for athletes, disadvantages include, according to BBC, um, are that it invades privacy, availability and cost and makes sport exclusive to wealthy people and countries. And it tempts athletes and coaches into cheating or unfair practices, and it puts the sole focus on winning, not athletic endeavour. Hmm. Now, for officials, the disadvantages are that it slows the game down, and it's not available at all levels of competition. So, you know, in rugby league, like they have it in the NRL, 
Yeah. But if you watch a Queensland Cup game, which is the next level down, they just, yeah, they don't have it. Uh, yeah, they might have the third referee sometimes up in the box, but that's it. They don't have a bunker. and uh, That's why I, I much more prefer to watch a Queensland Cup game because uh, you don't have all these stoppages. You have the one referee, the game's flowing, it's constant. You don't, you're not stopping all the time to review this, review that. And, uh, yeah. Um, but one, another disadvantage is uh, no longer trusts people's decisions and it undermines respect for officials' knowledge and expertise. And it undermines honesty, integrity and the spirit of fair play as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, disadvantages for spectators is that it de- detracts from actual play. So it reduces the atmosphere, you know, because the games just stop starting all the time. Yeah. And reduces interest in uh, grassroots events that mm. aren't supported by technology. Uh. And increases spectator broadcaster costs and enables trolls to attack individual athletes online. So, you know, we saw that recently, you know, with Cole Chambers coming out and talking about, you know, mental health with athletes. Yeah, and, um, yeah but like I find that now if I'm watching a – a game of cricket or a rugby league game, you don't get excited as much as what you did when someone scores a try or gets a wicket yeah. because you're thinking, well, oh, yeah, that's been given out, but what's the bet? In a second, they'll go to the third umpire or the third referee and, yeah. Yeah, and they, they'll probably override the decision. And, yeah. you know, like if they get a wicket in cricket, you know, the umpire doesn't call no ball anymore. Like it's all done by... What's upstairs? Yeah. So you're just thinking, oh, oh, hang on. Maybe, oh, I hope it wasn't an A ball. Yeah. Yeah. So for the general sport, for general sport, the disadvantages are that it detracts from the intensity of physical activity and sponsors are more interested in the technology than the sport of the athletes and it reduces emotional well-being. Yeah. Now, for coaches, there is an emphasis on them having access to high-end technology to help those they coach train and perform at the highest level. And they also need to be up to date with current technology because it's always changing Mm -hmm. and be able to afford the required equipment because it certainly isn't cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So an example is, um, you know, benefits coaches who work with organisations with more money to support their athletes. Mm -hmm. Such as the Brisbane Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> one city, one big city teams. Uh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, no, interesting. Uh. Technology and sport. So we'll move on to our, our answer now for who am I, what am I. Time to reveal this week's who am I. And the answer is Hawkeye. Mm. Now, that's been a big advantage in tennis because you don't have as many blow-ups by the players now, you know. Yeah, where, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, they'd always be blowing up at, oh, that ball was in. How can you possibly call that ball out, as Uh, John McEnroe would say, but uh, they just got to go the technology. uh, Yep. At the Australian Open, whenever they'd go and review it and look at it on the screen, you'd hear the crowd going, (laughs) 
uh, waiting for to see what the ball did on the computer. Uh, yeah. So we'll look at my top five now. So, yeah, number five, I've got data tracking. Well, this is just what I find the most interesting out of it all, the top five most interesting uh, um, technology that's been used over the years. So data tracking. Number four, I've got golf carts with GPS. I just find that in, amazing. Number three, neuroscience. And two, stadium design, because I've always been fascinated with stadiums. And we've got that new stadium opening in Sydney in a couple of weeks. And um, the new football stadium, yeah, next to the cricket ground. And number one is virtual reality. Yeah. Okay, what was your number one, Glenn? Uh, yeah. um, Too close to call? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, yeah, there's a lot more, yeah. You've been through that I thought that was there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, what, what would be yet to come? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'd be interesting to see what they anticipate yeah. in the future. And how much mm. of this technology links back to those betting apps and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, data tracking and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. No, you never know. They might be playing cricket on Mars or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I was thinking uh, with next episode, so we, we spoke about a, a couple of them today. Some sporting feuds. Yeah. Yeah, so on the uh, weekend in the EPL, yeah, Chelsea head coach Thomas, uh, oh, how do you say his last name? Tuchel. And Tottenham Hotspur head coach Antonio Conte, they came to blows at the end of an EPL match, yeah, between um, Chelsea and Tottenham. They both received red cards by the ref. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is right at the end of the match. So they've gone to shake hands, you know, like all the players and and officials do at the end of a game. And as they've gone to shake hands, because they don't like each other at all, Yeah, yeah, one of the coaches, you can't really tell which one he's did it. They've, instead of letting go, he's grabbed the other coach's hand and pulled him to him and all these players and officials have had to get between them and, Yeah. yeah, break it all up and... Uh, mm. So we're going to look at some famous sporting feuds over the years. Yeah. Those uh, players and teams that for a long time have never seen eye to eye, yeah. always disliked each other. Uh, so, yeah, like Melbourne and Manly in the NRL and, yeah. um, you know, they've always had a hatred of each other. And just last week, you know, there was a feud going on between Penrith and Melbourne, you yeah. know. One team was saying this team's more arrogant. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's what we're going to look at. Okay. Yeah, something different, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sports Shack. So it's a goodbye from Paul. Yeah, it's a goodbye from Glenn. Goodbye. G'day. It's me again. Please check out the Sporting Shack on Facebook if you like this for posts and other likes and shares. Have a great sporting week. Please check out Gold Studio Productions on Facebook.
Until next time. <laughs>